good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Brandon Billups. Um, let me, um, I want to introduce myself. I'm the student pastor at Rolling Hills, and it's awesome to get to be out here today with you guys. I want to show you a picture of my family. I'm going to put that up there. Look at us. That is my three-year-old Beckett, my beautiful wife, Bridget. And then that is um, the newest one, Brady, who is just a month old um, right now. So if I start to yawn up here, you're going to know why. Um, man, this morning has been awesome. Like, like how cool the, the all college student band and George singing, which has been really cool. He's, he's, he's trying to act like he's still, you know, in college, but he's doing pretty good. Um, man, seeing a student get baptized, like as a high school pastor, like this is the goal right? Like when I look at my students, I'm like, man, I I hope that when they go off to college that they're getting plugged in, that they're serving. You probably heard the statistics, you know, 60 to 70, 80 percent. They're always all over the place of of students in youth group go off to college and they leave their faith and they don't go to church any longer. And so to see college students here and serving, like, man, that is, that's the goal. So way to go, college students. That is awesome. Yes. Absolutely. Um, we are in a brand new series called Love Everyone Always. And th- this series is all about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that by loving people. I want to read you um, a verse that you've definitely heard before. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is, I mean, this is the great commission. Like, this is the mission statement for, like, all churches and all believers all over the place to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach uh, and to obey. But the key command in this verse is to make disciples. The key command in this verse is to make disciples. In Christianity, this is how we find success. This is how the the church finds success. Are we making disciples? Are people coming to know Jesus? Are people growing in their relationship with Christ to be more like Jesus? We're gonna, we're gonna read today in Luke 10, 25. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there now. But we're gonna read a little bit about how we can do that. Um, and we're gonna hear from someone that I think is pretty smart. His name is Jesus, and he is going to tell us a parable, um, one that you have definitely heard before. It's one of the most popular stories of all time. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's jump right in, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And so let's stop right there. This guy who is asking this question is a professional in the law. Like he's a step above your regular Pharisees. This guy is the kind of guy that knew his stuff. Like when people had questions about the law, they'd come to him and they'd be like, all right, what is it? I have to rest on the Sabbath. What does that mean? And he'd put in all these sub laws and amendments to, to explain to everyone exactly. Like he was that guy. He was 
an expert in the law. And so he's asking this question to Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking because he's curious. He's asking to test Jesus, right? He's asking to find out, all right, is Jesus going to say something just a little bit off base? Is he going to say something weird? And will I be able to expose him for it? Right? This is what this guy is doing. And so Jesus does um, what he does so well. He answers his question with another question. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Um, verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, in this guy's mind, this answer is simple. It's another full-blooded Jew, right? It's the chosen people. This is an easy answer for the expert in the law. Uh, but this time, Jesus doesn't answer his question with a question. He answers his question with a parable, which, by the way, is, has to be the coolest way to answer a question. I want to challenge everyone this week. At some point, when someone asks you a question, answer with a story. So it's like, hey, how are you doing today? Well, let me tell you, there were three birds sitting on the limb of a tree and just like go into something crazy. Like, how cool is that? No one can pull that off but Jesus. Um, so here's what, here's what he says. He says, in reply, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. For you history buffs, cars were not invented yet. So he is walking down, the people are walking down this road. He's attacked by robbers. And this is a real road. And I'm going to show you some pictures. We're just going to scroll through. This is the actual road that Jesus was talking about. It is a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 17 miles long. It, it, it looks just like this arid um, desert, isolated. Um, it, it goes, it descends like 3,000 feet on this path. And everyone who is listening to Jesus tell this story knew exactly what he was talking about. This, this road had a nickname. It was called the Way of Blood. And so people knew the dangers of this road and exactly what, what, what Jesus was, was getting at when he talked about this road going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let's keep going. Verse 30. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. At this point, the Jewish crowd's going, okay, the priest is coming, the hero of the story. This is awesome. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now in the ESV and the NASB and maybe even some other translation, it says had compassion on him. And I like, I think I like that version a little bit better. And the people who are listening to, to this, by the way, context is important. The audience that, that Jesus is talking to hated Samaritans absolutely hated Samaritans. And so they're going, wait, 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 a Samaritan came? 
surely this guy is going to rob him and make it even worse, right? This is what they're thinking. They were incredibly racist towards um, the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds. Even sometimes in their prayers, they would pray that God would bless us and not the Samaritans. This is the kind of prejudice they had um, uh, against these guys. And so the listeners are not going to expect the Samaritan be the, to be the hero of the story. And keep in mind, we're answering the question. Jesus is answering the question, who is my neighbor? Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So the Good Samaritan stopped. He put his plans aside, bandaged his wounds, put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, put his credit card on file. So if the guy wakes up, I'm going to pay more. I'll be back just in case he wakes up beforehand, right? Verse 36, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And I love, I love that Jesus said this because here's the deal. He's talking to this guy, this expert in the law, um, who's trying to test Jesus. And there's probably not been a lot of times, um, probably never been a time where this expert in the law has tested someone and, and not like come out the winner in that, right? Like he's, there's probably not been a lot of rooms that he hasn't been the smartest guy in. And, and so he is, he is hearing this story and, um, it's just, you can imagine what's going through this guy's mind as he's talking about who is my neighbor. We'll keep going. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Notice the guy couldn't even say the Samaritan. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him, go and do likewise. And so Jesus is telling this story to this group uh, of Jews. And it was absolutely like a slap in the face to make the Samaritan the hero of this story. And and this may be conjecture, but I don't think it's too far-fetched to go, um, Jesus is looking at these guys and he is seeing their pride and their self-righteousness and he came and he wanted to shatter it, right? This is what Jesus did when he, when he came to the rich young ruler. He ended with, hey, you need to go sell all your possessions. Why? Because he knew that that rich young ruler um, had that piece of his heart that he wasn't willing to give to Jesus. When he saw the, the Samaritan woman at the well, he goes, hey, go get your husband, Oh, I don't have a husband, or I don't have a husband. I know you've had five husbands. Jesus could always pinpoint the sin in somebody's life. And I think he wanted to shatter um, this expert and these Pharisees, their pride and their self-righteousness. He was looking at this group and saying, you don't care about people. Like, I don't care if you have the law memorized. I don't care if your church attendance is 110%. If you only listen to Christian radio, if the worst cuss word you ever said was all shucks, if you don't love people, you've missed the point. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Because making disciples starts with caring for people. Making disciples starts with caring for people. This is why on mission trips we go and we tell people about Jesus, but we also meet felt needs. Right? Like we want to feed the hungry. We want to um, help the poor. We want to build a house for someone who doesn't have a house, right? But on the other side of that, we don't go and just meet felt needs. We don't go and just give money to the poor. We don't go and just feed the hungry without telling them about the love of Jesus. It's gotta be, it's gotta be both. Um, you know, we work with Justice and Mercy. Um, international, and they do all this amazing mission work in Moldova and in the Amazon. I got to go to the Amazon for the first time this past summer. Absolutely amazing. Lived on, on a hammock boat for a week, go, going down the Amazon River, going to jungle village to, to jungle village, and we went and, and we brought food bags to people. We had doctors and dentists providing medical care for people, but we also told them about Jesus. Because, man, how, how selfish would it be to give them these temporary things but not tell them about the hope that we have that's everlasting? Loving people helps us reach people. Loving people helps us reach people. This is our, our purpose on earth. You know, I think we come across these situations, these Samaritan um, situations probably um, more often than we realize. And, and I know for me, um, preparing this, this all week. God's, God's brought to my mind a whole lot of times where, where I've, I've probably been the priest a lot more than I've been the Good Samaritan. Um, I, I, more than I'd like to admit. Uh, I probably turned a blind eye more than, um, I, I wish I had in the past. But some people help and serve and some people, some people don't. They, they pass on by. So why did the good Samaritan help this man? I think we see it in verse 33. The Samaritan man saw him and had compassion. He had compassion. It all started in his heart. He was the kind of person that would love everyone always. And this love led the man to sacrifice his time and his money and his comfort. Right? He, he had compassion and he saw the need. And I think that's the first thing. We need to be looking for the need. We need to look for the need. I think sometimes we forget to even be looking. You know, like, hey, if we happen to see something, sure. You know, maybe I'll, I'll help out. But man, we need to be everywhere we go looking for needs so that we can step in and be Jesus to those people. There are needs all around us. Right? Like most of us aren't going to be walking down the sidewalk this week and see a, a half-dead, naked guy, right? Or at least hopefully we don't see that. Uh, but there are needs all around us. People trying to figure out this life, their purpose in life. Uh, people trying to figure out where they belong, chasing after things of the world that they think will make them happy. People struggling with depression and anxiety and addictions. People who are just lonely marriages and families that are falling apart of church, we need to be willing to step into that mess. 
We need to be willing to step into that mess so that we can show them the love of God. This is what the world needs. We need to look for the need. We also need to meet the need. Right? Like the the priest and the Levite, they saw the need. But it didn't really do much good since they kept on going. We need to be willing to meet the need. And it's not always something as crazy and as big as what the Good Samaritan did. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Uh, Sometimes it's befriending someone that's lonely or an outcast. Sometimes it's um, helping someone move or bringing a, a gift. Uh, maybe it's bringing a meal to somebody. Let me tell you, we had a baby a month ago. Um, and man, thank you, Jesus, for people that have brought us meals in, in this season. I'm not the, the kind of guy that likes to ask for help. Um, you know, I've got that pride in my heart that wants to pretend everything's okay all the time. But man, like, when, when you've got, a, and most of you guys, if you had kids, you know this. You, when you have a potty training toddler and you have a, a brand new newborn, life can get real difficult. But man, friends have brought us meals. They saw this need that we have. And just to have one less thing that we had to worry about, food and doing the dishes, has been a lifesaver for our family. It's a simple way that people have seen the need in our life and been able to meet it over this over this past month, when you see people around you, do you meet the need? Do you meet the need, or are you more like the priest or the Levite who maybe just walks on by? I'll never forget, um, when I was in college, I was working at um, this church, a real small church called Memorial Baptist Church in uh, Denton, Texas. And I remember our pastor came in one Sunday morning. His name was, his name was Kenny, old school um, guy, but man, he was fired up. And he got up on stage, and here's what he said. He said, this morning, there was someone on the side of the road right outside the church trying to flag people down looking for help. So he stopped and he helped this person. As he's helping this person, um, she tells him, Hey, uh, yeah, someone, I, I was trying to flag people down and someone actually rolled down their window and said, man, I, I wish I could help, but I've got to get to church. <laughs> and he got up there and he said, you've got to get to church. You are the church. And then he went on for like 45 minutes berating the whole congregation, but I'll never forget that. It was a real life good Samaritan moment. And I'm sure whoever it was had really good intentions. Uh, Maybe they had to get there early and set up for their Sunday school class or, or whatever it was. But man, we have to remember that it's all about people. It is all about people and that we are the church wherever we go. So here's the question. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? This is the question that sparked this entire story. Who is your neighbor? It's people like you. It's people not like you. It's people you like. It's people you don't like. It's every race, every culture. It's for the rich, for the poor, for the good person, whatever that means, for the criminal. According to the parable, it's the one who had mercy on him, the one who stepped in, the one who helped, the one who saw the need, the one who met that need, the one who sacrificed, the one that gave. We can't talk about being a neighbor without talking about Mr. Rogers. 
Um, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers' um, awesome show. Now I've got a toddler, so we're watching Daniel Tiger all the time, which is like the cartoon new version of Mr. Rogers. And here's a quote um, that Fred Rogers said. He said, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. I hope you're proud of yourself for the times you've said yes when all it meant was extra work for you and was seemingly helpful to only somebody else. Specifically for you, who is your neighbor? Specifically, like who is someone in your life that you know needs to hear about Jesus? Who is someone you need to reach out to, show love to, encourage? Who is someone you need to step into the mess with? Someone you can share your faith with. Who, whoever that person is that maybe just popped into your mind, or, or I better should say that God just put on your mind, how can you tell them about Jesus? And listen, I'm, I'm under no illusions that this always looks pretty. It's, it's not. I, I think most of us can agree personal evangelism is really awkward. Right? It, it can, you can be met with some real awkward conversations. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You can even, you know, be met with, um, animosity. There was one time in Houston, um, this is where, where me and my wife used to live, and we were in an apartment complex, and someone moved in a couple doors down. We're like, hey, we're gonna be good neighbors. We're gonna bring them a little welcome basket and some cookies. And so we go and we knock on the door, and, you know, we've got our cookies and welcome basket, and, no one's coming to the door. So we're like, ah, I guess no one's there. And then all of a sudden, lock. <laughs> Someone came to the door, looked out the people and said, oh, look at these thugs with their cookies. I'm not falling for that. And they turned the lock and we we're like, well, I guess I'm eating all these cookies. It was, it was rough. I had to eat all of them. I got a tummy ache later. It doesn't always go well, right? But, but that's not our call. Like, how, whatever happens is not, that's, that's in God's hands. We're just called to be obedient. And, and the truth is, sometimes that's, that's how it goes. Sometimes God wants to blow our minds. Um, I'll admit to you, my wife, Bridget, is 100 times better at this than I am. Um, there was one time in Houston, Bridget started running um, years back, one, one of her favorite hobbies, she started doing 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. And at, at some point, God put on her heart, like, all right, how do I glorify God with running? Uh, how do I use this to, to reach people? And then God kind of brought someone into her life, and, and she met this person named Ginger at a race. And Ginger, um, unchurched, doesn't know Jesus, had a special needs daughter, and Bridget struck up a conversation, talking with her, and says, hey, you should come to church on Sunday, and told her all about, you know, what, what we do and what we did there, and um, to, to our surprise, she actually came that next Sunday, and she brought her husband, Micah, um, and her daughter, and they came to church for what, one of the first times probably in their lives, and so Bridget didn't stop there, though. She called her up that next week and said, hey, hey can, I, uh, can I take you to lunch? and talk to you about having a personal relationship with Jesus. 
And Bridget would tell you she was really nervous about this. She was like, this is going to be awkward. Like even just asking this question sounds weird. But Ginger said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so Bridget took her to lunch and brought her Bible and a gospel track and walked her through the gospel, answered all the questions she had. And Ginger gave her life to Christ right there. Ginger went home that night, um, brought the gospel track, showed it to her husband. Her husband gave her life, or his life, to Christ that night. They both wanted to get baptized, and they were excited about this. And Micah had told someone at his work that he was getting baptized, and she started asking all these questions. Oh, I, I kind of want to know about this. So they called us and said, hey, can you guys meet um, with our coworker and talk to them about Jesus and answer these questions? Because we don't really know how to answer them yet. Uh, and we said, yeah, sure. So we met with this lady and she gave her life to Christ. Fast forward six months later, this lady's granddaughter goes to church camp for the first time, gives her life to Christ. And, and only in the way that God can do matched my wife. There's hundreds of kids, but my wife got matched with this little girl and they're talking so that, that Bridget could kind of uh, talk her through her decision. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, she looks at my wife and says, hey, you look familiar. I think you were there when my grandma got baptized. And because Bridget didn't realize who she was. And we saw the thing come full circle. And man, like we don't always get to see the ripple effects of one decision. But man, that's, that's, what it, that's what it can look like. And that God blew our mind in that scenario and taught us a, a lot about, man, if we would just step out there, if we just be willing to have the awkward conversation, man, God wants to change the courses of families. God wants to change entire lives. And then who knows how far that ripple effect will even go. We love people so we can reach people. We, don't, we can't be like the self-righteous priest and Levite church. We can't afford to be like that. We can't shy away from these awkward conversations or the awkward person, right? When I was in um, fifth grade, we had a field day. I don't know if you guys had field days in elementary school where you'd go out at the end of school and you do all these kind of competitions. We had tie-dye shirts, or it was, it was amazing. And we, our, our fifth grade class would made this big flag, right? And so at the end of the day, the teacher was like, all right, someone can take the flag home. We'll just vote to see who it is. Well, there was a kid in my class named Adam, and he was different, right? Like he was awkward. He was strange. Didn't have any friends because he was different and strange and awkward, but man, he really wanted this flag. Well, the class voted that I would get the flag because fifth grade, Bell Elementary, Tyler, Texas, that was kind of a big deal. Don't mean to brag. <laughs> Go Bears. Um, <laughs> but for whatever reason, they voted me uh, to get the flag. And, and I, for whatever, God put on my heart, hey, you should give this to Adam. So I gave it to Adam. I didn't think it was really that big a deal. And that night, um, Adam's mom called my mom crying. Not because the flag was so great, <laughs> but because somebody noticed her son. Somebody included her son. And what we need to be reminded of, what the, the self-righteous experts in the law and the Pharisees needed to be reminded of is that God came for all people. 
He, he came for the, not just the Jews, like the experts in the law thought, but the Samaritans, the sick, the lame, the sinners, the broken. He came for everybody. And you know what's really amazing about this story? Is at one point, every single one of us was that broken, bloody mess on the side of the road. And God came down and he knelt down next to us and he, he healed our wounds and he picked us up and he saved us. One of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God demonstrated his love while we were sinners, not when we picked ourselves up and had everything going right, not when we had the Bible memorized, not when everything was perfect in our lives. It was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus saves us in our brokenness. He, he saw our need. He met our need. He had compassion on us. He sacrificed for us more than we could ever sacrifice for anybody. We love people because he loved us. We love people because he loves us, and we are called to point people to the one who loves us. This is our call, church, that we would love everyone always. Let's pray. God, we love you. You are a good, good God, and you first demonstrated to us how to do this. You demonstrated to us how to be the one that comes and saves. And you didn't walk on by us, but you stopped and you saved us, God. And we love you for that. God, we, I pray for this church. I pray for myself, God, that you would give us the strength, uh, the courage to be able to step out and tell people about you. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to opportunities all around us to step into the mess, to meet needs. God, we pray that you would use us. God, we, we don't deserve it, but we pray you would use us to bring people to you, God. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.